a few simple checkboxes during the shoot and you'll be more organised than you ever thought possible and to have a head start on editing thanks to LumberjackSystem.com. When we last left our heroes, they were locked into a terribly important discussion. Let's drop in on them again as they plot the future. Now from the Top Dog's Kennel in beautiful downtown Burbank, it's the Terrence and Philip Show. Once again, thank you so much, Gary. I'm Terrence Curran. And I'm Philip Hodgetts. And you're listening to the Terrence and Philip Show with, with a special augmenta- guest. With augmentation. Yes. Welcome, Zach Arnold. Yes, I'm so, so happy to be here. You guys are uh, definitely people that I respect and admire in this industry. And I'm going to feel really dumb for the next 30 to 45 minutes because you guys know way more about this stuff than I do. So this will be fun. Oh, no. Look, I can, we can talk about the back problem. Yeah, well, there we go. <laughs> then, then I'll feel a little bit more my own. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, you're in healthier shape than the, either of us, though. Well, actually, well, I'm pretty good, pretty good at these days. Yeah, yeah, he's getting better. I got to a certain point and then I reversed it. Yeah, well, because I, do, do- I do the beer lifts. That's my kind of... Being a little bit of a type A personality, when a doctor says the only solution to your blood pressure problem is to put you on drugs, and I say no, and so set out to prove the point. Yes, it took two months to get it under control, not with drugs. And once you start on a certain path, you just keep going down that path to health, I think. Yep, that's the, that's the whole idea, one step at a time. Yeah, everybody's looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you walk, you walk down from your home to, to yeah, the office. Yeah, I walk to work, yeah. Yeah, that's a fairly good hike. That's at least aerobic exercise. Yeah. And I now have a yard, which is amazingly good aerobic and, and strength exercise. <laughs> yeah, yard work is, yeah. That's the stuff that makes you sore, though, because you do things you don't normally do. Well, I'll just dig a hole. Yeah. And the next year, why am I in so much pain? Yeah. <laughs> but then after the seventh or eighth barrel load or the 30th or 40th barrel load of soil, it's... Uh, it's accommodating, and you realize you put on muscle that you didn't do when you were just swimming. See, I'm just trying to impress Zach that I actually do get some exercise. Ah, yeah. <laughs> what I'm trying to do is teach people that there's a tremendous difference between exercise and activity. Yeah. Especially in the world of post-production, because, I mean, it's, I, I don't know if, you know, there's uh, an intro about kind of my background or not, but I've been an editor for like 15 years, and I've sat in small, dark rooms, just like the one that we're in right now, for 16 hours a day. And you always think to yourself, man, I got to find extra time to exercise. I have to wake up in the morning at 6 o'clock and jog or get home at 11 o'clock at night and do P90X. And that's the problem that I had for years. And it's yeah. that mindset of you have to find the extra time. And, and I was then like, you don't. It's, it just never happens right. because your, your brain is so fried when you're doing creative work all day long. So I just decided I'm going to reframe my mindset and I'm going to learn how can I just be more active throughout the day while I'm working. And it was just this long evolutionary process of trial and error. And there was a period of time where I was doing really intense exercise. And I still do intense exercise if I'm training for like an event or something. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you still need to find a way to be active throughout your day. I mean, I know that you guys want to talk about editing and technology and stuff. But the technology that I focus on more than anything is making sure that my operating system is functioning optimally and is up to date. And that's my brain. My brain drives everything. Like, I'm getting paid for my opinions. I'm getting paid for my ability to make thousands of decisions all day long and do it consistently. And if I have the latest version of OS X and I have the best NVIDIA graphics card and I have a 64,000 terabyte G-Ray drive and I can barely stay awake, like, what's the point? Yeah, it doesn't do you any good. That's the technology that I really focus on is how can I optimize my own operating system and especially because in broadcast television they put you on like Avid version 6 and you're like all right, well there's no reason for me to focus on the latest and greatest because nobody's ever going to provide it for me anyway so you know you just you learn your way around the old technology as opposed to staying 
keeping up with the the latest. But I know that you guys are all about the latest and greatest, and like you're kind of oh, the, we're, the, the all the the we're all we're over the place. We're all over the place. We're just two opinionated guys who happen to not be bothered being politically correct. Well, then yeah. I'm in the right place because <laughs> I don't believe in being politically correct, and I have very strong opinions. So we're we're three of a kind right now. The physical stuff though helps the brain for two reasons. One, I find if I just go out in the yard and do some work, then my brain is free to solve the problem that I might not have been able to solve. Or, or Greg, mm -hmm. if he's facing a software issue, will go for a walk and he would talk through the problem and very, more often than not, before we got back home, he'd have found a new path to work on. So the activity, aside from out of the normal routine, is actually fairly good for you. Yeah, well, it's not only that it's fairly good for you, it's essential for you, and that's the piece that so many people miss, is that modern marketing has really convinced us that it's either I sit all day long and I do nothing, or six days a week I eat an impeccable vegan paleo diet, <laughs> and I work out, and I look fantastic, and there's this giant chasm in between those things, and I I call those people everybody else. Yeah. The rest yeah. of us. And when you're moving all day long, it's not just about, well, I should be burning more calories. I don't even think about calories no. anymore. I don't I mean, if you're gonna eat junk all day long, count your calories. Then you're gonna know the kind of stuff you're putting in your body. But if you're not and you're really focusing on optimal health, forget calories, and you start focusing on movement and putting the right fuel in your body, and one of those fuel sources that nobody considers is oxygen. Mm -hmm. And if you get oxygen to your brain through movement, you're going to be able to synthesize more thoughts, you're going to be more creative, and you're going to develop more mental stamina. That's the way that our brains and our genetics were wired. Like Our genetic code does not evolve over the course of years. It evolves over the course of tens of thousands of years. And as human beings, our genetic code is expecting movement of 10 to 14 miles per day. Right. That's over 20,000 steps just based on what the human genome and the human body expects. Most people are getting like 2,000 steps per day. And when you move, it activates the thinking brain. That's when your brain starts to create and synthesize thoughts and create new neural connections. Makes and, sense. And if you're sitting all day long. Because you're hunting. Exactly. Or you're running. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> you're either escaping or, or yeah. Exactly. So that's yeah. why the brain is wired that way. But if you're sitting, your brain begins to atrophy. And that is not an analogy or a metaphor that is a physical measurable thing your well, that brain makes sense too, because when, you when, when you're resting that's part of it's like sleep that's part of what's going on is your your body's rejuvenating so it makes sense that when you're not moving your brain would be it's like any muscle i guess if yeah, you don't use it you're gonna it's lose it it's not just so. like it's exactly like your muscles and i'm not saying the brain is physically a muscle made of muscle tissue mm -hmm. but it functions exactly the same way where if you were to be in a wheelchair for six months because of an injury you're not just going to be able to start doing jumping jacks your muscles atrophy mm -hmm. your legs will begin to lose muscle fibers and shrink that's exactly what happens to your brain when you sit so that's not a metaphor. That's, and when I learned that, I was terrified by that. I'm like, okay, so every time that I'm sitting for these long periods of time, which in this industry is all the time. Yeah, it's every day. I'm thinking, <laughs> I, I don't want my brain to shrink. I would mm -hmm. like my brain yeah. to keep working really well because it's paying my bills. And it's, it's the thing that's fueling me being creative and making my decisions. So I need to find a way to counteract being sedentary because the, the other thing that was terrifying is that about, I don't know, it must have been – three or four years ago, I was exercising intensely, but I was still sedentary during the day. Mm -hmm. And all kinds of new science has come out that's proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that even if you exercise, so let's say you wake up at five in the morning, you're training for a triathlon and you exercise for 90 minutes intensely, mm -hmm. but then you sit for 12 or 14 hours after, yeah. you don't undo any of the effects of being sedentary. None of them. 
you're going to oh, be you're going to be in better. Now I don't feel sh- bad about not exercising. <laughs> you're going to be in better shape. Your blood pressure is going to be better. Okay. Your cholesterol is going to be better. Like I'm not saying exercise is bad. This has nothing to do with right. saying you shouldn't exercise. What I've done is designed a system that helps you fill that middle gap where mm-hmm. you say there's no time to exercise and I don't have the energy, but I know I need to be moving. So that's the system that I develop. But I make it very clear: exercise, it's still good for you. It's not something that is bad. But don't think it's the only. Well, I didn't say it was bad for you. I was just saying, you know, and I don't feel bad about not doing it now. But just, uh, just imagine though, working all day long, and then at nine or ten o'clock at night, you're like, oh man, I've got thirteen thousand steps today. I don't feel so bad about not going to the gym. Like, right, th- right. And that's totally doable within a tiny little workspace like an edit suite. So, how many miles is thirteen thousand steps? Uh, it's about seven or eight miles. It depends on the length of your stride. Okay. Um, but I'm, you know, average height about five ten, five eleven, and for me. Right around 10,000 steps is five miles. Okay. So that's, according to the American Heart Association, 10,000 steps is kind of the the minimum magic number Mm -hmm. if you want to be moving throughout the day. And again, separate from exercise, which is general activity and perpetual motion throughout the day, 10,000 is kind of that magic number. And that's roughly five miles, which is still less than half of what our body is expecting on a genetic level. That's hard to get that in every day. So... I have always done this thing where if I have a problem I'm trying to figure out, I just go for a walk. You know, if I got, a, especially with editing, you know, yeah. if there's just like, uh, I'll go take a walk and somewhere in there it's like, bing, oh, there's the mm-hmm. answer. Um, whereas I could sit in there all day long and never come across a solution. Yep. So, And that's, that's motion activating the thinking brain. Like one question that I always ask people is how often do you have spontaneous creative thoughts when you're sitting and working intensely versus – when you're taking a shower. Oh, yeah. How often are All you in a, in a shower and shower. you're like, whoa, <laughs> yes. I, that's an amazing idea. Yes. And that is because you were in an environment where you yeah. have the ability to make free thought in your mm-hmm. brain because you're not being bombarded by stimuli like right. Facebook or Twitter or the work that you're doing or whatever it is. And you're also standing. You're moving. Mm-hmm. And you're also being enveloped by warm water, which is relaxing you. So if you can do that, you can activate all of the neural pathways in your brain that allow free creative thought. That's what motion does. So how do we figure that in when, when the uh, AI replaces all of the <laughs> Well, you'll have plenty of time to go out and walk up and down right. <laughs> right? the picket lines. Yeah. Yeah, you won't need to think about anything, but hey. You can be plenty active when you're unemployed. Yeah, that's right. right? <laughs> well, that's been a lot of what you know, we've been focusing on lately is the, you know, the future for you know, our industry specifically, but just in general too. It's going gonna, it's gonna to apply to everybody. And what can people do? I mean, we have your podcast, which when you interviewed us on your podcast, we talked about that and Actually, where can people find your podcast, by the way? Yes, so they can go to fitnessinpost.com. So rather than fixing it in post, now you can fitness in post. <laughs> um, so all kinds of podcasts, blog posts. You can also learn about the new Optimize Yourself program, a whole bunch of good stuff there. But yeah, go ahead. Oh, so you have a whole program laid out in there for people who are editing and want to get, you know, they're listening to you now and going, well, I wish I could get more motion in. You know? Yes. And beating the producer doesn't count. So you, you nah. actually have to do something else that's more creative. So, yeah, that's good to know. Finding that kind of information is always helpful. If I sit for 45 minutes, I'll try and get up and just walk around, go and do something because it's too long to say sitting. 
Yes. One thing that's key that people really gravitate towards is this idea of sitting is the new smoking. This has been everywhere, very, very common catchphrase. And I am trying to stop this. And if you put in sitting is the new smoking, I think you get like 19 million (laughs) results on Google or something. It's ridiculous. Uh But the problem is that everybody thinks that like sitting is horrible for you. And as soon as you sit, your head is going to explode. It's like, that's not how it works. The problem is sitting for prolonged periods of time. So when people say, oh my God, like I'm in a work environment where they won't let me get a standing desk. I have to sit and I'm so terrified. I'm like, that's fine. You can still sit at your job all day long. You just need to build different habits Mm. and a different lifestyle into your day. Mm. But the problem is sitting for continuous periods of time. So like you said, every 45 minutes, basically around the 30 to 45 minute mark, that's where all the negative effects start to accumulate. So even for me, if I have days where I'm a little bit lower energy or I'm doing certain tasks where I prefer to sit, like for some reason, the way my brain is wired, I can't edit sitting down, but I can't write standing up. I can't do it. I have to be sitting when I write. I have no idea why that is. But if I'm doing an intense writing day, that means I'm sitting almost all day long. Mm -hmm. But I get up and I move every 20 to 30 minutes and do like little exercises or just stand up and sit back down. So yeah, I have a a timer that I use on my – that I have installed on all my computers. It's just called the Break Time app. And basically what it does is you – Give it a specific amount of time, and then after that amount, so for me, the setting is 30 minutes, your screen just goes black for 60 seconds, and it says, it's time for a break. Oh, that would, I'd kill somebody. <laughs> it's, it's like that, you know, you're right in the middle of that really creative edit, you're and then it goes into save. Well, one and, you and first. it takes 30 seconds to save, and you're like, ah, there's that. Well, when see, it, the <laughs> difference is, like, you're talking about, like, the idea of autosave or saving. Yeah, like, exactly. And, and if you exactly. work in the Avid world, like, yeah. autosave is the death of you. You're like, yes. I know that I don't have <laughs> lock privileges to my bin. I get it. You don't need to tell me every seven minutes I can't save this yeah. bin. Shut up. I get it. And not right in the middle of my creative right? flow. It's, but this it's works like, very, <sighs> very differently where this actually starts to condition your brain to mm-hmm. want that that break every 30 minutes. You're basically teaching yourself to become Pavlov's dog. I was just going to say. Because if you are in programming, if you're quote unquote in the zone, which is, that's kind of the money sweet spot for an editor, is you want to get in the zone. Yes. That in order to really, really get there, you have to be completely without distraction and you need to have the body primed for that in your brain, which Mm -hmm. motion will do, but you have to be in that space for up to 30 minutes. Right, So you're thinking, well, I'm never going to get in the zone if I get these interruptions. But what happens is you actually get into the zone more because you're doing something called time blocking. And this is something that I actually teach in my Optimize Yourself program. I have a whole module about building habits and building a time blocking habit, which means that you shut the outside world off and you go dark. And then you get in that zone and what happens, and this is what happens to me as well, the timer will say you have one minute left. So you kind of get this warning. Okay. And then it doesn't completely go dark. It's not like you're going to lose your work. It just dims and a little message comes up and you can turn it off if you need to. But what happens is I'm still in the zone. I'm still disconnected from everything, Mm -hmm. but I'll just take 60 seconds and I'll move. I'll either stand up. I have a little mini trampoline in my office. I'll jump up and down. I'll Mm -hmm. do a few pull-ups because I have a doorway pull-up bar, but I'm still totally in the zone. I'm still thinking about the next edit or thinking about whatever it is that I'm working on. And then at 60 seconds, I'm right back in. And it actually – So you take a minute break basically. It's fuel for the zone and it actually helps the zone last longer. 
But the other thing you need to think about when you're trying to get into that sweet spot, that creative zone that everybody wants, if you let yourself stay there for too long, you burn your engine out. It would be like if you were driving a Ferrari, you're not just going to have your foot on the gas pedal for two hours straight. You're going to be much more respectful of the fact that the engine needs to cool and you need to do the same thing with your brain. So if you spend any more than 50 or 60 minutes straight in the zone and really pedal to the metal, mm -hmm. over the course of the next week, your productivity will drastically decrease. So I teach my students that you need to play chess and not checkers. So I'm not thinking, well, I'm in the zone right now and I don't want to lose it. I'm thinking I'm totally in the zone. But if I let myself go four hours in the zone and I don't drink any water and I don't walk around, my productivity for the next oh, week yeah. is going to suck. Yes. So uh, I, yeah. I always pace my, and I, I don't want to say always because I'm also a workaholic and a type yeah. A. So I still fall into these traps. So right. everything I've designed are my own safeguards because I am that person that used to get in the zone for 10 hours straight mm -hmm. and say, it's four in the morning. When exactly did that happen? Like yes. we've all been there. Yep. So I've created all these systems and safeguards to protect that and protect my health. So now I can go months where I'm pretty much in the zone continuously whenever I need to be. So I can kind of snap my fingers mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I'm in the zone for 60 to 90 minutes and then I can walk away and I can make dinner or I can check my email. But because I've really trained myself like Pavlov's dog, I snap my finger, bam, I'm there and I can control it. But it takes training to get to the point where you can actually create that creative space and get in and out of it consciously. That's cool. See, I guess I've always just instinctively done the, uh, I'll just get up and walk every hour or so. And that's great. That's mm. terrific. But most people that I talk to don't do that instinctively. Yeah. Well, it's harder depending on where you are and what location. I mean, yeah. it's easy for me to walk outside and I like walking outside. So, you know, in and, and Southern California, I mean, almost any day of the right? year, any time of the day or night, it's easy to go for a walk. If you're in, you know, an office building, I don't know, in downtown LA or something on the 28th floor, maybe it's not so easy. You just walk around the office building, that'd be kind of depressing. Walk down 10 floors and back up. Well, that that's actually what I did. I was at a, an office building recently that was like a corporate space. It wasn't like a, a post-creative type facility like mm -hmm. a lot of people in this business are used to. And I was on the 19th floor. Yeah. So at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, when you start to feel that cloud of brain fog, yeah. frog creep in, <laughs> I just walk down. Fog. I walk down the steps to the ground floor, and I walk back up. That was it. But it was 19 floors down and up. So That's that a was a one. pretty intense 10-minute workout. Yeah. And then I would go back to my office, and I would be good for another four hours. But that was what one of the things that I did. But I think the bigger issue is not even so much, well, my work environment is a corporate space or whatever it is. It's not the physical environment, the culture of the environment. Yeah. Where there are a lot of editors and assistants that come up to me or they'll email me or on social media, they'll say, I just I feel really guilty and I feel like I can't get up because people are going to think I'm not working and everybody's oh, yeah. just working, working, yes. working. And I, that's probably not <laughs> yeah. a culture that you're very familiar with because you've designed this company to really focus on the quality of your workers. Like people actually come here, at least to my understanding, they actually kind of like working here. Yeah. But so far, it's a good thing. A lot of people in this industry don't have that luxury. Yeah. And they say, I can't even get up and go to the bathroom. Or my boss is like, what are you doing? Yeah, that's, no, I, that's I, I worked I, in that universe before. Yeah, I, I did too. And yeah. that's, that's really at the heart of what I'm trying to do is that, yes, I teach – the tactical steps, here's how to build the habits, here's how you can completely rearrange your work environment to be more active. But that to me is the means to an end mm -hmm. because it's much bigger than just I want to be more active. It's we need to change our culture so people, especially supervisors and bosses, understand that if you have me 
tether to a workstation for 12 hours straight, my productivity is complete and total shit. Like, let me move around and I'm going to give you better work faster. I'm just saying because, you know, we're talking about how it applies to us where we work. But if you think about the changes in the product we deliver and how it gets yeah. delivered now, that's affecting this too. Because traditionally, you know, television, you every hour it changes to a different show and maybe you want to watch something else. There's breaks, you know, there's constant commercials which make you want to leave the room and you know, go to the <laughs> bathroom or something, you know, that you kind of force. And now with everything available with all the commercials pulled out and you can binge watch eight hours straight without a problem, that's a big deal. I mean, it's, it's changing the viewing experience from one that kind of – I would say encouraged you a bit to move around yeah. to one where you're encouraged to not move now. Well, and it's it's not just TV. It's everywhere. Like the entire world now is vying for your attention. Like the amount of marketing messages that you have in oh, front of you, yeah, on, your, you know, on your computer between <laughs> yes. Google AdWords and Facebook and Twitter, like all the retargeting that's happening, like. It's not just a matter of we're going to throw ads in front of you. We now know exactly the ads that you want to look at. Exactly. So you never get to escape the vortex of the internet. And you really have to create all these safeguards so you can actually learn how to navigate the internet without distraction, which is actually one of the things I teach as well is here's how to, you know, re-engineer Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever it is to only get the information that really pertains to you, but also so you're not distracted and pulled in where you're like, like, for example, I spend three to four hours a day on average in Facebook, but I never see a news feed ever. All the work that I'm doing is creating content, engaging with people in my different groups, helping them out. Like for me, Facebook is all about connecting with my community of people in this industry, or there are now people in other industries that are starting to find the program. Mm -hmm. But I can't just say I hate Facebook. Like that's how people find me and that's how people right. communicate. Right. Yeah. It's a but tool. I've installed plugins so I don't see a news feed. I don't see all the posts about the election or, you know, the latest shooting or whatever it is. Like mm-hmm. that's information that you're feeding your brain. It's junk food no different than having a bag of Doritos for dinner where, you know, you surround yourself with that stuff all day long and it actually rewires your brain to become more – negative. So all this stimulus, you're never pulled away to feel like, oh yeah, no, I feel like I can take a break or take a walk because there's this new phenomenon called FOMO, fear of missing out. If you step away from your computer for five whole minutes, somebody might post something and those posts are so fast, you might miss that post. And I can't miss a post. There's an actual endorphin response to emails mm -hmm. even now. It's it's insane. Train yeah. ourselves to, oh, I've got an email. Oh, I'm excited. Exactly. And yeah. that's another okay. one of the things that I teach is how to manage email. Like I'm in email three times a day maybe. Wow. And I don't have my email open. Like I specifically close everything off, do my creative work, and I have focused blocks of time where I'm engaging with email and other things. But you just create these new behaviors. Yeah. And when people – I can't do that unfortunately. Being – running a company, it's – it's a little bit harder to do it yeah. in your position. It it's could like, still here be comes done. A fire. Okay, I it could put totally this one out. still yeah. be done. I could probably sit down with you for an afternoon, and I could probably get your email time down by about seventy-five percent. So it can be done. I'm not saying you can just lose it completely, mm-hmm. but there are Fortune 500 CEOs that get an average of five hundred to thousand emails a day, and they oh, can yeah, and they crazy. can batch it in about two or three periods per day with their email being shut off. So it can totally be done. 
But that's one of the first things. Well, I have different email addresses. That's how I handle it. Yeah, that's how I do it too. I think I have like 14 different addresses. Mm -hmm. And that's how I manage all the communication. Like for example, one of my tricks when I'm editing a show is I always set up a new email address for that show. So... That so way. everybody there, exactly. That one you can keep up all the time. Yeah. So, like for example, yeah. if I'm you know working on when I was working on Empire, I had a specific email address just for that, so I can have everything else turned off. Right. And then I have that email set up to come to me, so that way, if the showrunner needs something or there's like you know a fire or something urgent, which of course there never is in broadcast television. Yeah. But just no, in case there all. were, um, <laughs> I had that email. But even with that single email, I still have all kinds of filters going on in the background that are filtering the specific communications. So I'm only getting things that actually pertain to me. So it's not like I'm on a thread with 74 other people in production that are emailing back and forth because you can get 100 emails a day just as an editor on a TV show, yes. which is absurd to me because 99 out of the 100 emails you don't even need. Right. And you're like, well, I don't read them, but you still see them. Yeah. And, and that takes, takes your attention, attention away. Right. You, and you, so you have to you get have to them away. The heading. So yeah. You've, yeah, you're already there. So yeah. I never even see those emails. I don't delete them. They're there if I need them, but mm. they, they never are in front of my eyes to grab my attention. So that is one of the main reasons that I'm able to get home at the end of the day and put my kids to bed. Like... That's the reason for all that. It's not just, oh, you know, I want to look better in a tight shirt oh, no. or whatever. Like, right. that, that's, that's the driving force. Like, I'm tired of being home at 11 o'clock at night and never seeing my kids. All right, great. I got to find a way to get home at 730, read them a story and put them to bed. How am and I going to do it? That's it's this it's process. one of the, you know, I really appreciate, you know, somebody doing that because this has just been an accepted practice in our industry. One of my, fa my, one of my favorite career. customer stories, customer comments was that buying our stuff is like buying sleep. Oh. <laughs> and that's, to me, that's the real reason why we do it. I mean, it's not, not, well, yeah, we make some money out of it, but the real reason is we want to make people's life easier, get rid of that boring stuff so they can get home to see their families and productions can get done quicker and, mm -hmm. and people don't have to work ridiculous shifts and late nights. The problem is that it's an indoctrinated industry oh, yeah. uh, standard, you know. So if you figure out how to shave uh, two hours off of your day, they'll find two hours more for you to do. Excuse Unless, <laughs> and this is what I was thinking too, because when I was working on Burn Notice, I was there for 12 to 14 hours a day, every single day. Mm -hmm. And that was a fantastic work environment. That had nothing to do with the people. That had to do with the workload and the schedules. Right. My first season, it was a two and two, which meant two editors, two assistants, and your episodes would overlap. So I did nine episodes in seven months. Okay. So when you were in director's cut, or producer's cut of an episode, you were already getting dailies for your next episode. It was madness. Mm -hmm. When you're in a space like that, you're not going home at 7 o'clock at night. Right. But if you're working on a show with a relatively normal schedule, and I say normal, that's relative, because Empire was kind of my testing ground. I said, all right, Empire is a pretty nuts show like to work on the i was on the first two seasons to clarify i'm not on the, the third season i decided to choose quality of life over um, <laughs> a credit so and i'm not saying anything disparaging about anybody just the show as a whole is just a beast mm -hmm. and i decided i just i wanted to choose quality of life but i said all right if i can get home at 7 30 or 8 o'clock at night working on empire this system works. Oh, okay. So you were able to so pull it off. It, basically, I looked at Empire as a Petri dish. Okay. And the other editors who are fantastic, like Joe Leonard and Raul Davalos, who I shared walls with for two years, are amazing. Mm -hmm. But I was kind of using them as the benchmark, saying, all right, they're, they're doing things their way. I'm going to try experimenting with this. And in two seasons, I put in one day of overtime. 
Wow. And that was because they shot on a Friday and I got mm-hmm. footage on a Saturday. It's the only paid overtime I ever had on the show because of the amount of work that needed to be done. But that was so in that situation, you're able to do it. But you're also talking about the other shows that are crazy where you can't do it. And that is what I've seen is more the problem. It's a structural throughout the industry problem where if you know the air date is, you know, October 1st. You can plan backwards mm-hmm. to leave plenty of time for everybody, but they don't. Because, some because time costs money. That's exactly. why they don't. Well, exactly, because they can get away with it. And so that's why I'm saying it's built – the entire industry is built that way. And so we're always under this constant pressure to try mm-hmm. to get everything squeezed out in time. And unfortunately, it's our own fault for – you know, uh, Mark Rodonis always says it's our fault because we keep pulling off these miracles. And every time you yes. pull off a miracle, then the next time they, they just expect it. Yep, you know? and, I mean that, that, <laughs> that's the saying that I've been kind of putting out there for for a long time is that you know post-production or yesterday's miracle becomes today's expectation exactly that's how it works yeah and what i'm trying to do the reason that i believe in this so much is that i think the reason that that's happening at a systemic level is we're letting it yeah we're saying it's okay yes. but how do you see the problem is how do you stop it it's the thing of if you go okay well i'm not going to go on that show because they won't re- well then somebody else will unfortunately exactly they you will know? but my feeling is and i could totally be wrong ask mm. me in 10 years and we'll right. see if i was right my feeling is that when you look at how people in our industry treat themselves mm-hmm. from a physical perspective, a mental perspective, mm-hmm. we burn ourselves into the ground. Yeah. We don't treat ourselves with a lot of respect. Mm-hmm. Guess what happens when we don't treat ourselves with a lot of respect? Other people look at us the same way and they don't treat us with respect. So if you're a director, if you're a producer, if you're an executive producer and you're like, well, yeah, they're just the grunts. They just just <laughs> do it, just burn them into the ground. Yeah. But if we stop accepting that and saying, listen, like I'm going to treat myself like a high performance machine. I'm going to get way more done in less time. But you're going to accept that part of that package means I'm not going to be available 24-7. And you think, well, that's nuts. But then you, when you actually start to deliver that, people listen. And that was the experiment that I had on Empire is they saw how much more I was getting done mm-hmm. in less time. And it was still very high quality, but I was going home at 7 o'clock every night. And nobody said, well, you should really be staying. And they're like, well, can't really argue. Like <laughs> he never missed a deadline. The work is awesome. Like I guess we'll let him go home and put his kids to bed because they, they don't have an <laughs> argument against it. Right. And if that starts happening to way more people and more people put themselves first, but not at the sake of, well, my health is more important than my job. Right. You say my health is important for the sake of my job because my job is important for the sake of my family. Well, you've got a long – Then it starts to work. You've got a long road ahead of you. Oh, this. yeah. No, it's – it's. I, listen, I'm fully aware that I'm trying to sell chocolate popsicles at a white glove convention. <laughs> I totally get that. But I like a That's challenge. That's a good one. Well, it's interesting because back 15 years ago, 16 years, whatever, 16 years ago, getting ready, you know, looking to start Alpha Dogs, the early days. And we're looking for office space, basically, going around town. And, and you know, every time we check out one of these office buildings, it would be uh, the doors are locked at yeah. 6 o'clock. The air conditioning shut are- off at 6 o'clock. Uh, if you want to run air conditioning after that, you know, it's 500 bucks an hour to run the air and stuff. And I'm just like, what the hell? And, and after about six months of that, all of a sudden one day I just realized, oh, my God, the rest of the world actually does work nine to five. They go home. They yeah. have dinner with the kids and da 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 
I been in this business. <laughs> Even right. at that point, I'd been in the business long enough that I'm, my mind was completely tweaked to this is just normal. Well, it's not. We're in this weird little bubble, and anybody outside will never understand. They'd think we're crazy if they ever actually yeah. saw what we do and how we live. And we're in here going, well, this is the way the world is. No, it's not. Everybody else lives normally. I mean, other than maybe a farmer who yeah. has to get up before the sun and and you know whatnot. Everybody else, it's a nine to five world, you know, eight to four, nine to five, whatever. It's it's and they go home, and it's a weird. If you're not in our universe and you're hearing me say this, you won't understand how surprised yeah. I was at that point to realize, mm-hmm. oh my God, that's one actually of, the case. One of my long term partners was referred to as the video widow because mm-hmm. he'd have to go to social events without me because I was still stuck at work finishing a deadline. That, exactly, yeah. that's exactly it. it. Yes. And that last job that I was at when I told you about the 19th floor building, that was a corporate office space. Oh. And the first week that I was there, I you know was leaving at like 7, 8 o'clock or something. I very rarely left later than 8. But I left around 7 or 7.30, and I forgot something in the office. So I <laughs> went to go back it. in, and the door was locked. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what in the world? So I'm knocking on the door with the security guards comes over. And I'm like, I just need to get back up to my office. Well, I'm sorry, sir. The elevators are shut down. I'm like – Yeah, there you go. And I'm like – I'm confused. It's like seven o'clock right now. Like this is after hours. I'm like, yeah. Wait, excuse me. Yeah. Like I didn't even understand. Yeah. And then I had to start bringing my security card because at six o'clock everything was shut, mm-hmm. and I would go like, it, and this was like you know an eight floor parking structure, it's a giant office building, mm-hmm. and I would go to my car at seven o'clock at night. I was You'd the, only, be the only one. Well, yes. me and everybody else in my office because yeah. we parked in the same area. Yeah. And now I kind of had that same like that that same realization. I'm like. Wow, like our business is really messed up. It is, like, yes. So, it, but now with that in mind, okay, I've been in this business long enough that, like, if I go back to a reunion, right, and I look at all the other people who are in other industries, done, you know, gone on to do other things, etc., they all look so much older than me, and. I find that is a common experience with most of the people I know in our industry, and I don't know if it's creative keeps you younger or if people who are genetically going to be younger end up in a creative. I don't know, but it's a weird thing. I have a theory behind this. Okay. My theory is that if you're somebody that works a nine-to-five job, and I don't want to make blanket generalizations because everybody's individual, but let's pretend that I am for a second. If you work a nine-to-five job, the vast majority of nine-to-five jobs – are jobs. People say, I'm going to work yes. now. When you work in a creative field like we do, even though it's grueling and it's brutal, mm-hmm. most people will say, I can't believe they're paying me to do this right now well, because yeah. this is so much. Like, I felt that part of why years. they get away with abusing us. That's exactly my theory is that yeah. you can get away with abusing me for 12 hours a day because I freaking love what I do. Yeah. And having that passion and feeling like I'm not really going to work. That keeps you way younger than somebody that does exercise for 30 minutes a day because they only work for eight hours, but they're doing data entry for Microsoft. Like that'll kill you way faster <laughs> than 12 hours a day doing a job yeah. that you love. Well, so what is such a shock that people who are only a couple of years older than me are selling, retiring or talking about retirements. What What the heck? I've only just worked out what I want to be when yes. I grow up. And yes, right? I've got yeah. like almost exciting stuff to do with AI and integrating it into our, into our industry. Mm-hmm. It's, why would people want to retire? And then I really of course, the people have these sorts of data entry jobs that right. they do want to retire from, or you know, Les Perkins retired from clients. Mm-hmm. 
He didn't, didn't want to stop doing video work, but he wanted to stop having clients that he didn't like working with. Yes. Both, that, of, my older, both of my older <laughs> sisters are retired. They're five and six years older than yeah, me. They yeah. both are retired now. One was a professor, have, and uh, she's retired, and then my other sister worked at for the phone company for all these years. Retired. They're retired. Retired. They, I can't imagine God, what I would... You know, what that would mean for me? I mean, I just, retiring. Just, yeah, I just I can't imagine. Well, you, but you, it wouldn't be any different. I was going to say, I really can't, you, can't imagine the things would be better than they are now because well, you I know mean, you, work, <laughs> you work basically you work from home and you're doing stuff on on a computer and it, it doesn't matter. I mean, you, nothing would change for you. There's not like no, this, no. You don't have to go to the data center or the bank anymore, right? Because you're not. That's yeah. not your job. So your job right now is perfect for it's the perfect kind of job to continue on yep forever mm-hmm. um but yeah if you have that nine to five you go to the bank every day then retire is you don't yeah. go there anymore yeah. that would be weird and I you get to do know. the things that you did in the time you weren't at work yeah i mean an editor you know until you can't think anymore or something or you get too crusty to work with people they don't want to hire you there's right. no reason you could edit in you know forever i mean well look how old walter merch is yeah. he's still mm-hmm. editing right so well, Sorry, that, Walter. That, that's for me. That's another kind <laughs> of you know even... a, a shameless sales pitch for why I think it's so important to build these habits of movement into your day. Is yeah. that we're not counting the days until retirement? Like, right, when, it, like, right. When, when people talk to me about, well, you need to get ready for retirement. I'm like, it's like when? Okay, from a financial <laughs> perspective, yes, yeah. I should be prepared. Yes. But, I'm not walking away from everything I'm doing at 57 and a half years old right. and getting on cruise ships and getting a golf membership. Like, I'm going to do this until I die. Like, I'm going to be a creative professional making things until the moment that my heart says, nope, you're done. Right. Because this is part of who I am. And I don't want to drastically shorten the amount of time I have available to do that because I'm sitting all day long. Like, that's what keeps me moving. It's not why well, I should be moving now so I feel better in the afternoon. That's part of it. Like, the effects are immediate, but I'm also thinking, again, long-term, playing the game of chess. Like, if I want to be Walter Murch standing at my desk at 75, I better get moving. And I did, like, a 90-minute really deep-dive podcast with Walter all about his habits throughout the day as an editor. And guess what? He moves all day long. Yeah, that's, he's a runner, so that doesn't yeah, surprise me. That's yeah. part of his system, but that's why he has such longevity and such success in the industry is mm-hmm. – you know, yes, he's a brilliant editor, but if he were a brilliant editor that were sitting for 14 hours a day straight, he probably wouldn't even be alive anymore. So there, there are a lot of reasons to focus on this stuff other than, well, I should lose a few pounds, I guess. I think every editor in the world says that at some point, don't mm-hmm. they? Or, or programmer. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's – well, programming is probably a good comparative thing to yeah. what we do because it's kind of that similar – Part of it is you can do fourteen or sixteen hours a day because of what yeah. you're doing. You know, it's if you're not shoveling like, soil sixteen hours a day, you, no, you yeah, probably reach a limit. Yes, yes. <laughs> your body would just go done. That's yeah, it, yeah. Not, uh, ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes is about mine, <laughs> and and it's creative, and yeah. and that keeps you know. I, I, the thing I've loved about this industry is that everything I work on is new and different in in some way. You yeah, know, it's, yeah. I'm not doing the same thing every day. That would just kill me. I don't know oh, how, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how somebody does data entry. I mean, that would just be murder. You're an editor. We know you spend most of the month in a dark cave. So just once a month, get yourself out of the dark cave, away from the solitude and be with other editors at the editors lounge at Alpha Dogs, editorslounge.com. So yeah, I I feel like in this one of the things that I love about 
the post industry and editing is that you do have a new job. Every yeah. few months you start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're still working in a timeline. You're still editing blocks together. Yeah. Like you're still playing the Tetris. The tools don't change that the much. The tools don't really change that much, but it's a totally new job. It's new yeah. stories. It's new characters. It's new directors. Yeah. Like, so you really do almost start a brand new life and a new career every mm-hmm. few months or what, depending on – for some freelancers, it's every Monday morning it's a different job. Right. You know, for me in TV, it's every six to nine months it's something new or at least it's a new but it's, season it's even or, more common than that because every episode's different mm-hmm. and every scene in every episode is different so you, there's constantly i mean you how many different ways can you edit one scene there's thousands <laughs> millions <laughs> yeah, it's right so i mean it, it, it that's what i'm saying it's there is no uh, it, it, everything is unique and new to me you know color correcting there is i'm i'm, I'm learning every day mm-hmm. you know and I that's never stop learning it's just which anyway. is why i'm so passionate about the idea of finding better ways to move more because it's all about protecting that ability to be creative because if you can't learn color correction tools because you don't have the brain energy to learn them then what's the point Mm -hmm. so you know as you're moving more you're increasing your ability to retain information and create those new neural connections that you need to retain it like you could spend all day long in front of tutorials sitting doing absolutely nothing you're not going to retain much of it but Try watching those same tutorials, moving around all day long and staying active. That information just sticks like glue. But then I just turn around and fry them all with alcohol anyway. So. <laughs> that's a totally different conversation. <laughs> Actually, it turns out that's not so true anymore. But It depends on the alcohol, but you're right. Yeah, yeah. Alcohol uh, in, in certain amounts and the certain types of alcohol is mm-hmm. actually a tremendously good preservative and is actually good for you as a human being. Of course, always in moderation. So yes. I don't want moderation anybody to be like, yeah, I'm on my first scotch and it's preserving <laughs> yes. me. Like, <laughs> Nine know. in the morning. Right? Oh. Oh, my God. When I, I – this oh. is just a reminder of an old story. I did a Perry Como concert in Ireland, edited the Perry Como concert. And I remember the first day – well, first of all, the shoot. You know, I was there for the shoot, but I'm just hanging out because it's not really anything for me yet to do. I'm going to start editing the next day. But the day of the, the concert – you know, all afternoon was practicing blocking, yada, yada, yada. And then they had a dinner break. And so during the dinner break, you know, I'd made friends with the Irish crew there. And they're like, hey, come on down to the pub with us. So <laughs> they get faced before they go to, to work, you know. And then the next morning I go in and in the morning I walk in and uh, I'm talking my tape op and you can just smell the scotch. I mean, he's already drinking or first thing or whiskey first thing in the morning. And it was like, how did these, the, the entire country functions? As a matter of fact, and one of the guys told me at one point, if you're if you're using a crew over there, a camera crew, you always shoot in the morning. Cause oh wow! <laughs> so and I don't know. It was this, it, this is see this is how we end up going off on paths. Right. Well, here I, I'm <laughs> actually I'm going to bring this back on topic. For okay. You, this this brings up a great point for me, and this is something we haven't talked about yet: is sleep. Oh yeah. The badge of courage of I didn't sleep at all last night. Oh like, yeah. I, this badge of honor, man. Do you, do you have any idea how many hours I've gone without sleep? Like I am awesome. Yeah. And we're you're talking right now about I don't know how they function trying to do all this creative work drinking. Well, yeah. guess what? If you get less than 6 hours of sleep, you score lower on cognitive scores than if you're drunk. Wow. That's yeah. how much sleep deprivation impairs your ability to think. Yep. Wow. So if you're thinking – Sleep, sleep guys, deprived drivers are really, really dangerous. Oh, yeah. They're more dangerous than drunk drivers. So yeah. if you're thinking those Irishmen are crazy for drinking in the morning, if you work until 3 o'clock in the morning because you're in the zone and then you wake up at 7 or 8 and go back to work, 
your cognitive scores are going to be lower than if you drank the night before. So that's uh, the other thing I'm really trying to change is wearing the sleep deprivation oh, badge yeah. of courage. Yeah. Like, Unless I'm super crazy busy, I get a minimum of seven hours every single night. Like I, that's protected time. Like I don't care what's going on. Nothing's going to be more important than sleep. If it's like a one or two week push, mm-hmm. you're like, I see the tunnel. The finish line is yeah, this exact yeah. date. Yeah. There's always going to be leeway because things get nuts. I get right. that. But even then, less than six, I will not touch. But I protect that seven hours, and I didn't used to do that. Mm-hmm. And I almost died because I was like, I just need to work and work and work and work. And I was yeah. getting three or four hours a night. Yeah. It almost killed me. Literally, almost killed me. And so, I was like, nope, got to protect sleep. That, to me, is culturally so messed up in our industry is the idea of sleep. So when people start bragging about having worked all this time without sleep, the response should be, oh, I'm so sorry you couldn't get yourself organized. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. right, right back. It's like, well, you should, in any reasonable, sane world, be able to get seven hours sleep for yes. yourself. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. no reason for it. And it comes back to this idea of um, Parkinson's law. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Parkinson's law. But it's the idea that whatever the task is will fill the space oh, yeah. that you allot it. Oh, right. So yes. familiar oh, yeah. with it, not necessarily by that name. Yeah. <laughs> not by that that, name, but that's so that, reality. So that's yeah. the term. So the perfect yeah. example I use is cleaning your house, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody says, man, I really need to clean my house. Like, yeah, it's going to take a while. And, eh, I don't feel – I'll just kind of pick away at it. But all of a sudden, your mother-in-law calls and says, I'm going to be home in three hours. And yeah. I'm gonna, Boom. Guess what? Well, your house clean. gets clean in two and a half hours. Yeah. yeah. So if you think to yourself, well, sleep isn't that important and I'm just super busy and there's no way I can do yeah, it. it won't happen. That's because you've allowed your brain to say, I can work until two in the morning. Yeah. Now, if you said, no matter what, I have to shut my computer off by 10 p.m., you are going to start changing your habits so you make sure you get the same amount of work done, but you get it done by 10 p.m. instead of 3 a.m. So Anybody that says, I was crazy busy until 3 a.m., and I'll separate the people that are like, listen, I had a crazy air deadline and I had no choice. Those are different. I'm talking about normal, regular work days. Anybody that says, well, I had to work until 3 a.m., I want you to check how much time you spent on email, how much time you spent on Facebook, how much time you spent chatting with colleagues, or just how much time – even when you're thinking you're working, if you had those notifications on in the background – just the the bing from the email yeah, or whatever it is, Gee, I, it kills I, your zone. So yeah. you, that can cost you hours in your day. Yeah, I feel guilty now that my phone is set to do not disturb after nine o'clock at night before nine o'clock in the morning. So I feel like I feel like I should be putting it on open till till to midnight so I can just keep seven hours protected. Not me. Yeah. You, know, you know what <laughs> no. I do when I get home? I turn off my phone. Good yeah. for you. You know, the the only my closest uh, friends and family have my landline number. Mm-hmm. So what's, an what's a landline? Do you want to put that in the show notes, what a landline is? <laughs> I've heard of it. It's that thing that will work when we have a major earthquake and power goes out everywhere. Oh, right. It'll still work. Yeah. So, so my, vo- my VoIP line, which is the landline, isn't going to work. No. No, I don't think you'll be VoIPing if there's a major no. disaster. Yeah, no, but uh, the analog landline will yes. still work. Um, I'm too cheap. I gave mine up a few years ago. I was like, I can't pay the $20 a month. But then the day is going to come where I'm going to be like, damn it, I wish I had been except paying for, the $20 Except a for month. the analog phone is now digital at every stage but the last mile. So right. at least it's on backup power in most of the exchanges. But yeah. there are Does your still, landline, do you still spin it? When you dial, like now he's picking on me. So I do have a dial phone in the garage, and I have a handset, the old handset. You know, you know, you can dial on on a phone. You can dial just by doing the repeated clicks on the hang up button. 
Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's how that's how they work. When you did that rotary thing, uh-huh. it just did, 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 it would that, close. That, I used I figured that out years ago. Well, it was a long, long time ago. But, you know, you'd work in an office somewhere and they'd have a lock on the dial so mm-hmm. you couldn't spin it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I figured out how to uh-huh. dial. You can do you, you know, if you, you just have to tap really fast. Although so you I go think, on the on the hang up, you know, the little buttons yeah. that would be when yeah. you hang up the handset. So uh-huh. you just go like if it was eight one eight, you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. No way. Yep. That is so cool. But oh, they've yeah. changed. The coolest thing I've learned all week. But they've <laughs> changed the tones now because that was so easily hacked. So there's now, originally there were tones to represent each number and then there went yes. to a dual tone. So it was, because that was, again, easy to fish. Mm-hmm. The thing that financed Apple computers in the That's first right. place yes, was a little yes. blue box. Yes, that, yes, the old box. <laughs> that faked the dial tones <laughs> and the, the frequency. Then they, there's a dual tone frequency thing at the moment. I was somewhere in the tr- recent, recently, oh, it was at Lassie Pug um, last month. I had to explain what back porch, what front porch was. Oh, yeah. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Nobody's going to know. It's like, I, right. if, if I wanted to feel Sam's that I'm... looking at us going, what I the feel, If I wanted to feel chronologically gifted, that was the, that was the question that... Yeah. Yes, because nobody else in the room had any idea. Do you have do you have any idea how much of that information I have in my head that is completely useless now? Oh, I know. I mean, there's just so much I've learned well, over the years. Twelve years matter. of hard-earned Final Cut Seven knowledge became yep. virtually oh, yeah. obsolete overnight. That's me. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I was deeply in it from first release, before first release, until the last day. But well, at least most of the stuff there it carries over. I mean, most of what you yeah. do, especially if you're going to. To premiere is yeah. so close to Final most, Cut. most minus the muscle memory. There's not a yeah, lot of no. knowledge lost from Final Cut Seven. I still yeah. miss it. Um, I still will. I mean, granted, too many people still use it. Well, oh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's still not dead. How is that even possible? Uh, we're still getting projects. Yeah. coming. I mean, I know a major. Seven. I can't name it, but I know of a major upcoming Netflix project that's being done in Final Cut Seven. And the editor had come to me because he's looking for an assistant, wanted to talk yeah. workflow. Like, well, you know, what are you working with? And there's this silence. He's like. Um, Final Cut Seven. And like, we're still so wait, ex- wait. You're starting yes. a new project. It's like, well, we have archival materials. Yeah, and yeah. blah blah blah. Yeah, I'm they're like, stuck. Oh my God. And, uh, and so I, it's still there. We still sell Sync and Link for Final Cut Seven. Yeah. I mean, it, well, we shouldn't be because that means that a new high end show working with double system sound, separate time code matched audio and video, is starting out brand new, mm-hmm. setting up a suite, not just continuing on with the tools we had already. No, they're making a deliberate decision to start anew. Because to, because they have entire yeah. workflows and infrastructures yeah. built around it, and they're not going to change until they absolutely have to. Because there is a cost in yeah. in time of learning a new software. Yeah, absolutely. The most expensive of the, part of software is learning is exactly. the time you're putting into learning it. Yeah, all of that is there's backing, a cost associated yeah. with it. So just backing up a little bit onto what we're talking about, the unlearning side of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure who was was, but said that that one of the most important skills going forward is the ability to unlearn. To, in order to relearn, because so oh, much, yeah. so much of what we do now was absolutely impossible. It can't be done. Right. Can't be done for that amount of money. Oh, okay, we could do it for that amount of money. Anyone is doing it. Everyone is doing it. I mean, that's the progression that we've mm-hmm. seen mm-hmm. in you know the relatively short time of the industry that we we overlap with. You know, tape reel to reel. You know, the whole idea of doing an online conform in another location is is dead to most people, not necessarily in the sort of area of the industry that Alpha Dogs is working in. Most of the production is done on the same, finished on the same system it started. People are, that's why grading has become a commodity. 
Pretty, yeah. But, but again, to a know, large the tools are, are, but the skills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, because Resolve is free. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't make me a colorist if I have Resolve. Yeah, but producers don't know that because their nephew has Final Cut 10, so they know how to edit. Like, well, of that, course. That's how it works when you don't actually understand the technology that we use is you assume the technology is what does the work. That's our fault as editors yeah. and colorists, et cetera, is that we – you know, it was the hidden skill of mm. the magic of Hollywood. You know, our, our what we do was right. always a hidden thing, and so nobody knows and the people, value. They don't see it. They and don't people realize. would push the tools. Oh, I've got DigiBeta, or I've got a beta, beta cam. You've only got three quarter inch, so you know yeah. clearly I'm going to deliver better quality. Yeah, and were, people are focused on that. They, yeah, they sold the technology mid, instead of the, the talent. I, the I'm mid nineties, I don't do editor. Yeah, yes. well, yes, that's yeah, right? yeah, yeah, my least favorite thing on the planet. Exactly, I'm an avid editor. Okay, great. What is that? Well, I'm an enthusiastic editor, but I'm not locked into one platform. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than being a rabbit editor. A right? rabbit editor. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do bring it back to us because the people don't know. I mean, I, I see it when I get the difference, and I've seen it over my career. Depending on who's sitting in the back of the room. The ones who get it are just so much easier to work for because they know the value you add. They know what you're going to do, et cetera. And then the ones who don't, you know, le- less experience, let's say, and, and want to – it can make your life so miserable. We'll do this or do that or try it, you know, when you already know. Mm-hmm. And you have a shorthand with people who understand and know what we do that eliminates all of that. You don't have to go through all these steps to constantly show them that something's not going to work, et cetera, et cetera. I guess my point is that because we haven't educated not not just the producers in the industry but the end consumer, since we haven't educated them about what we do, they don't know the value we bring, and so why should they pay for it? Mm-hmm. You know, well, they don't know the-, the value it brings until they try to do it. And I've run into this in, in the fitness I, and health circle. I've I'm, seen some really crappy stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, but on TV. <laughs> I'm now kind of crossing over where I'm in these two different worlds that have no real knowledge of each other. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to bring the two worlds together. But if I go to something fitness or health related. Oh, and it's terrible. And I, and I talk about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, well, I'm a film editor by trade, but I'm trying to bring fitness to the industry. Like, dude, like, I was trying to make this video for YouTube and I shot it with my phone, but then I put it in, like, my editing. <laughs> Like, how do you do that? Like, like, I just, I couldn't get the clip in. And like, I was yeah. in, what is like the sequence and with the blocks? Like, that stuff's so hard to do. As soon as somebody has to do it, they see that it is magic. Mm-hmm. But they don't understand what it takes mentally to be able to do it and the skill set required. Because they're like, well, every time I buy an Apple, it just comes with iMovie on it. So it can't be that hard. But it's when they realize that it's about... I have to make the right decisions and know how to put something together and tell a story. They just lock down. I get that all the time at these conferences. And well, now people are like, well, can you edit my stuff for me? I'm like, no. no. Well, <laughs> they're going to pay. Yeah, but, but even then, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's, cer- it's certainly not something that I'm interested <laughs> yeah. in doing. But as soon as somebody sits in front of a computer and tries to do it themselves, which anybody can do now, mm-hmm. the value skyrockets when they try to do it. And they're like, wow, this is way more complicated than I thought. It's back to the, the literacy thing. I mean – there was a period of time when if purely because you could read and write, you could make a comfortable living. That's yeah. not no, not much more than 150 years ago. And very few people were, you know, fully literate. But now most people read and write, and at least 90% of the population read and write. People use it as part of their career all the time, but it's not the only thing that they do. And, 
you know, video production is exactly the same thing. It's gone from being an industry of 25,500 professional film and TV editors, as the Bureau of Statistics and, uh, says for the United States, to, you know, over 2 million seats of Final Cut Pro 10, 2 million seats of Final Cut Pro 7, 800,000 active seats of Premiere Pro. You know, these are definitely not professional editors doing all no, of this. No, yeah. but it's a better way to communicate is yes, why. It's, yeah. We, you know, it's the old pictures worth a thousand words. Well, yeah. what's the moving picture worth? Yeah, and 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds are doing it as, as part of their school assignments. And Yes. This is not going to be something special. So the only thing that we have as professionals is, like in any other profession, the skill set that goes with it, not the tools and, and toys. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it's like it's as absurd as, uh, as somebody saying, well, I'm a final draft writer. Yeah. It's like, yeah. no, you're not. You're a writer. Yeah, exactly. Like, yes. Yeah. I, I can learn final draft in an hour. I, I can make slug lines. Unless they're writing s- the code for final draft or something. If that, yeah. Then that, well, that's different. different. Yeah. Anybody that's of the 90% of our population, they can write. They can string sentences together. Right. Well, then why aren't you winning Oscars writing scripts? Exactly. Like, that's, that's my the point. skill yeah. Yeah. that yeah. people need to develop. Like, but the difference is that we're educated from, you know, basically when your parents are reading to you as a kid on what is proper language. You can hand a paper written by a five-year-old and a paper written by a college graduate to anybody, mm-hmm. and they're going to be able to tell you the difference. I, regardless, even if they only made it through seventh grade, right. they could still tell you the difference between it because they've been educated to that all the way along, and so you know the rules, et cetera, et cetera. We haven't done that as an industry, so I can watch on TV and see stuff that's poorly edited. Mm-hmm. It's obvious that it's poorly edited, or what's more common is the color correction sucks, mm-hmm. um, which is why I made – you know, I made a couple shorts to try to get people to, hey, this is what we do as colors. Look what we right. can add. You know, if if we can get the consumer to go, oh, I'm not accepting that because it's a five year old's paper. I'm not mm-hmm. accepting that because it's poorly edited. I'm not going to watch that because the color correction is sucks. Then we have a value that will last forever. If we don't do that, then we're going to get replaced because nobody's going to realize what they're missing. Yeah, there's no value left in what we bring. Exactly. Yeah. That's the big threat. And then meanwhile, Philip's automating us all out of existence anyway. So, <laughs> I come back to that, that story. There's a lot you can do. And building the stories is nowhere near as complicated as, building the, as getting the metadata to build them with. The problem with first cuts is, which was where, where we took metadata and could build a fairly good first string out with B-roll and everything, was having the metadata, the, the story arc. Now, of course, I wouldn't even have to do the self-analysis of what makes a good edit and how to put in B-roll that that drives those decisions. There's probably about 1,600 rules of thumb in that app to drive the decision-making process. I would feed sufficient examples of good editing into a neural network and it would decide what makes a good edit. That's, yeah, it that's, would do all the work that you tried to do yeah, manually before. Uh, yeah. yeah, but the, my point being, though, that I could that would still get me a lot of the way to those first string outs and those first polish, but I don't think it's ever going to realise that, you know, intercutting this young singer who's doing Rolf in The Sound of Music on Saturday afternoon and on Sunday afternoon is doing a benefit concert where they're singing a Hanky Panky. You would not believe, not think that those two songs would intercut mm-hmm. particularly well, but they intercut brilliantly. And I don't see a computer working at that out. So I think there's still going to be an, a, a value add for the human, the intuition, those moments of brilliance of putting a, a shot and, mm. you know, the proverbial, just the right twink in the eye, the right mm-hmm. glint. Um, mm-hmm. These things are going to be incredibly hard to get the metadata to drive the decision-making process. 
yeah, and, I mean, I, and and profiling that decision making process. Yeah, and I don't I don't understand ninety five percent of the words that you just said. <laughs> However, five, I only understand eighty percent of them. The five percent that I do understand is the idea that, and I know very little about the technology, but we're probably fairly close to handing an hour's worth of raw dailies first thing to a computer and it being able to assemble it based on waveforms and dialogue and looking at a script and saying, "Here's your assembly," right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for a computer. To be able to watch those same hour of dailies and see there are these two seconds after the director called cut and the main actor in the scene had this look in their eye with this intense emotion. If you take that and you cheat it in the middle of the scene during the emotional turning point, you can build your entire scene around that moment and have just immensely more emotional impact for the audience. To teach a computer to do that, I would imagine we're a long ways off. Yes. So if, 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 so, you, what you have to do is look at it the same way for your own instruction and your own education. Yeah, I can learn how to assemble a scene and learn that, well, I should put it in this order and do a string out. And, you know, well, I'm not supposed to just do a straight cut. I, somebody told me that I should be doing an L cut. So I should do that. Like, computers are not far off from being able to do that. But if mm-hmm. you want to put your energy and focus somewhere, learn how to make those little tiny decisions and shape a scene based on intuition and being able to have the creativity to do that. That's what's going to future-proof you for as long as we can at least see until Skynet takes over. And, and again, coming back to that, <laughs> but that's matter. the, yes. yes. the 25,500 professional film and TV jobs. It's not the other 2 million people producing video or 2.5 million or 3 million that are actively using these tools. Yeah. yeah so so once a lot we're of that, hooked up to the Matrix as batteries, it doesn't really matter. And yeah. according to Elon Musk, we were the, like a 50% chance that we're already in the Matrix or something? Yeah. I thought we were the Matrix as batteries. Yeah. yeah. I thought we were the Matrix's batteries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Well, oh, okay. We hooked up as the batteries, yeah. and it doesn't really matter. So, yeah. yeah we always we're already come, in. Who cares? We already, right? we already come, we'll always come back to this point of being terribly depressing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh... So after all that wonderful information, there's just no point in living. So. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. No, I, uh, well, you know what? It's up to us to keep uh, entertaining people, and, and regardless of what happens, I yeah. mean, people want storytelling. That's yeah. happened from the beginning of sitting around the, that cave, was my, the fire in the yeah. cave, you know? That was my bottom line of the, the presentation on metadata that, where I talked a lot about what's going to happen with the automatic generation of metadata and saying, say, what jobs are left? Storytelling, because the storytelling's been there since the campfire. Yeah. And people will still want stories. They still want to be diverted. And the worse things get, the better the, the entertainment industry does. There's always this, cross, this reverse correlation with, you know, depressed economy, great for the entertainment industry because people want to escape. Right. So there's always that. So there was, the worse the things get, the more likely there is going to be a strong growth in the entertainment industry. So it's, that's it's, the positive. It's like the medical <laughs> industry, right? Like people are going to continue getting sick. Yes. And people are going to continue wanting to zone out in front of entertainment. Yeah. And people will get more and more sick if they don't pay attention to the fuel they put into their body oh. and the way they treat it. I, I like that that uh, way you came back around. That was nice. <laughs> well done. <laughs> and so if you want to check out that information, you would go to? Yes. So um, depending on when this comes out or when the next enrollment period starts, if somebody specifically is interested in the Optimize Yourself program, they can just go to optimizeyourself.me. Or if they just want to get the tons and tons of free content that I have for the fitness and post community – 
which is, I think I'm up to like 95 hours of podcasts, hundreds of pages of blogs, all kinds of different stuff. All of it's free. Um, they can just go to fitnessinpost.com. And is there a link from the fitness and post to the program? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So no, they're they're all connected and they're they're all you know synergized, but they're they're two separate entities. Where the optimize yourself program is not just for editing professionals; mm-hmm. um, it's for anybody that works long hours, highly creative field, and they want to move more and have more energy and creativity. Fitness and post is just for the post production community. Okay. And if you want to get your project finished beautifully, audio and picture, then come along to Alpha Dogs for the final polish. Nice. Well done. And if you want to make your life easier in editing, there's all kinds of tools being constantly developed by our buddy Philip to make your life easier. And go to intelligentassistance.com. That's right. I should spell that out, huh? Is it? It's because it's assistance, not yes. assistant. A N T S, and that's important. But because because I'm a savvy web guy, oh, the assistance will you get you oh, to assistance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> redirect. Nicely done. And it's it's automatically redirected. Yeah, automatically <laughs> redirected. <yeah. laughs> well, if you live with a programmer, you don't do something more than five times before you decide this got to be automated. Right. Nice. And I really want to thank you, Zach, for coming and getting. You know, he's donated his time to come over here and jump on this podcast. With this, so yes. I really appreciate it. Anytime that I'm around you guys, I become smarter. I've already learned more words in the last hour. So <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, until we get together again, do something creative. If you want to smooth out your workflow, translate between Final Cut Pro 10 and Premiere Pro, or even Legacy Final Cut Pro, or want to synchronize multiple sources at once based on time code, or do the sort of reporting that everybody has to do, then head over to assistedediting.com or intelligentassistance.com. 